This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert. Welcome to season six of Social Pros. If you want to learn how big companies succeed with social media, you found the perfect podcast. The show is brought to you by Salesforce Marketing Cloud, inspiring one-to-one connections with your customers through social, mobile, email, web, and advertising. The show is also brought to you by Yext, whose award-winning location management platform helps companies of all sizes drive more foot traffic to their doors and get more customer reviews. And by Convince and Convert, social media strategy advisors and counselors to the world's most interesting brands. Convince and Convert makes your social better. My co-host for the show is Adam Brown. Find all links, archives, and more at socialpros.com. Are you ready? Let's get to work. Welcome to Social Pros, the real show for people doing real things in social media. This is Adam Brown. Very glad to be with you today. Uh, I'm executive strategist of Salesforce Marketing Cloud. I am not, sadly, for the second week in a row joined by my colleague, the master of ceremonies, the man that makes this show what it is today and has been for five years, Jay Bear. Jay, again, is traveling this week. So I am going to try to very capably take over the reins uh, and channel my inner Jay Bear for a great uh, Social Pros show today. We are lucky uh, this week to have a fantastic guest on the show and uh, a fantastic guest from an equally fantastic platform that has been near and dear to my heart, uh, been a place that I've spent time on, and that is Quora. We have Sarah Smith, Vice President of Sales and Operations of Quora on uh, Social Pros today. Sarah, how are you? Uh, great, great to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. Our pleasure, our pleasure. Now, I want to kind of start out with, uh, for those who may not be familiar with Quora, uh, I think that would be surprising, but again, you never know. Love for you to kind of tell the story of Quora, how it started, and kind of how the uh, the platform has matured over these really interesting couple of years. Yeah, so we have been around for a little while, and certainly more and more people know about us now than when I first uh, joined the platform. Uh, Quora started in 2009. Um, our two co-founders had uh, left Facebook and were really interested in the knowledge space and just the idea that there's so much knowledge really just trapped in people's heads that is really valuable for the world. And they believe that there would be basically a better world in the long run if we could capture more and more of that uh, on the internet or other formats, frankly, in the future that people could easily find and access that knowledge. So we have been building uh, very diligently this platform since 2009. I actually joined the site very early. I was the 45th user. So pretty much on day one (laughs) that there was a a prototype to try. So I have literally seen it from the beginning, um, asking and answering some of the first questions on the site, and then joined the company a few years later um, when we were about 40 people as a company. And so now we have grown quite a bit. We currently reach over 200 million monthly unique visitors from all over the world. We, uh, about half of those coming from the U.S., we've launched this year um, outside of English. So that's been a really exciting development that we are now moving into more international markets so we can reach even more people on the globe. So we're now live in Spanish, French, German, and Italian, and we'll be continuing to roll out in more languages. 
200 million uniques. That's uh, that is impressive, um, and it's it's great to see the growth of of the platform. As you said, just over uh, almost uh, eight eight nine years. You know, Sarah, a lot of Quora's identity kind of revolves around the concept of trusted sources. You know, so often online, I think, especially with search, you know, we're basing the ability for us to get the right answer kind of on an algorithm. Um, and what I always liked about Quora is it adds a human element. You know, when you're able to, to, to see a person and kind of their pedigree, how they answer questions, uh, the upvotes and how people have kind of bless them with, with, with trusted source kind of credibility in a certain topic. Um, so my question kind of is, do you see kind of as an internal person, Quora more kind of like a search engine, more kind of like a, a Wikipedia, which in some way has a lot of the same types of information sharing and, um, and, and kind of confirmation, or more of a pure social media network? Because as I look at it, I see kind of all three pieces being in there. Yeah, I think your assessment is actually spot on. It's part of why I came to Quora is because I felt like there was strength in some of the best of all of those platforms combined in one that would be really useful to people. So we have some elements of all of those. Certainly we have the elements of search in that people are seeking some kind of information. They're looking to learn something. They're looking to make a decision and they're trying to find some sort of credible source to make a good decision for themselves. So from that aspect, we have the similarity of intent of search that people come with. Um, but in terms of being a trusted, incredible platform, that's where, you know, Wikipedia is a tremendous platform for very factual based knowledge, um, things that really can't be disputed. Uh, that is something that we certainly also have. Um, but it is supplemented by the fact that there is a lot of more subjective knowledge that people have where there isn't necessarily one right answer, but maybe there's a variety of answers or experiences that you may want to read about or learn about. And that's where it is different from Wikipedia and that we can accommodate a variety of opinions, a variety of viewpoints and experiences. And then with that, the social aspect, which is understanding who is it that's actually writing that answer um, or contributing to the platform. And in that way, we do have somewhat of a social aspect um, because you have the real name of the person, you have their credentials, their background and experience to help make a judgment for yourself of how much weight you want to put in that uh, particular piece of, of content or knowledge. Um, but not, not, not quite, uh, I would say, social in the, as far as Facebook, where maybe most of the content you're looking at or interacting with is with your sort of circle of real life friends. Um, on Quora, you certainly could see things from your friends, but you also may want to know what a world expert thinks about something who certainly may not be your personal friend, but someone that you maybe trust. So it's interesting to kind of think about this. And, um, you know, now working on kind of more of the ad side, that question has come up more and more of are you search or social? Because that's how a lot of marketing teams are structured. And it's it's something that I think I'll be curious to see, you know, how other people answer that question. But I think the way you have summed it up is is really spot on. I liked a couple of things that that, that you said there, Sarah. First, you said it's oftentimes what people think about something, that the, uh, the answers and the questions contained in, uh, in Quora are in some cases very subjective. Uh, they're oftentimes answers to questions that don't actually have a one right or wrong, one wrong answer. In fact, if I look at my Quora newsfeed, really right now as, as we're speaking, I see questions that are very, you know, kind of 
topical or factual based upon things that I've said that I'm kind of an expert in around marketing and public relations and, and see a lot of uh, questions around Coca-Cola because I spent four years leading social there. I also see a lot of things that are very subjective. People are asking advice or opinion, everything from what's the best way to get from Nashville to Orlando, Florida, to I'm having this problem in my relationship. What what do you guys think? That has to be kind of interesting um, as it relates to findability. So my, my question for you is, and I think you, you answered this a little bit, Sarah, but do you find that most of the people who are coming to your platform are, are looking for a very specific answer or looking to ask a very specific answer? Or do you also see people who are kind of browsing? Because I, I could very much hear a time suck happen when I mm-hmm. went on the Quora homepage of just sitting there for 15, 20 minutes and just reading these questions because it really kind of is the, the zeitgeist or the pulse of what people are thinking or talking about. Yeah, we have people coming from a variety of sources and with a variety of objectives. So that is something that is a real opportunity and challenge for us to manage is how to make sure we have a great experience for everyone that feels personal, that feels helpful to them as they land on Quora. So people may come to us through... Um, they might actually find us on search, so they might Google something. Um, so, for example, you're at Salesforce. You know, if you're someone at a company and you're thinking about selecting a CRM for your company, you might wonder, you know, what are all my CRM options, or what's the best CRM for my company? And you Google that, and Quora may be one of the top entries because we have a lot of content in that area. So you might. Some people might hit us through a very high intent query on uh, Google search and uh, and come to us that way. Then there are other people who come to us because we have uh, you know a lot of other entry points, like we have a digest email that we send people with what we think is some of the best content that they might be interested in knowing what we know. Like in your case, you have an interest in Coca-Cola. So if we have some good new content around Coca-Cola, we might send you a digest email that has that highlighted. And then a lot of people tell us exactly what you said about uh, you know, essentially the idea of going down the rabbit hole. They might come in looking at one question they found interesting, but then find that they spend hours on the site reading about other topics. So um, we really do service both ends of the spectrum in terms of just discovering just interesting new content that someone might not even have been thinking about until they saw it in Digest or they saw someone share it on social media or they saw it published. We have publishing partnerships with a, a number of different outlets like Forbes and and Inc. and Huffington Post, so they might discover us that way, um, or they might find us through some very direct uh, intent query where they either found us through a search engine um, or through an article that they read uh, in terms of uh, that's related to sort of like industry news that they were trying to follow. One interesting topic I also saw um, on, on Core that I wasn't quite expecting, but as as a marketer and as a as, as an advertiser, it started getting my wheels spinning, and that was around businesses or corporations, but more about employment uh, at it. And in fact, as I read some of these questions about, hey, what's it like to work at Salesforce? Or what's it like to work at at Brand X? It made me realize that in some cases, Quora is is kind of an amalgamation of of LinkedIn and maybe a a site like Glassdoor. So I'm curious if if you're seeing that and as VP of of, of sales and operations and obviously advertising being a big key kind of portion of, of, of your role, are you seeing companies beginning to leverage Quora to help kind of present, you know, best places to work, rewards and recognitions or things like that for potential recruits who are thinking about joining a company? 
Yes, we are seeing this. In fact, we've been seeing this for years, um, but more and more so, obviously, as the talent market gets even more and more competitive, uh, companies are looking for richer ways to build their employee brand that feels really genuine and authentic and also helps select for the right people that are going to do well at their companies. So we see um, on the organic side, we see companies leverage the platform, um, usually through writing, um, getting their employees or former interns to write answers about what it is like to work at the company, what's special about the company, what to expect when you're there. And they often tell us that they do, you know, people have discovered companies and job opportunities by reading about it on Quora. It also makes sense because a a big part of our audience um, that we've developed over time, a lot of people discover us while they're in school. So if you remember, you know, maybe writing book reports in in grade school or high school using Wikipedia, um, certainly Quora is a a huge resource for students when they're in school or in university. So we have a lot of penetration at the university market. And that's a time that people are often starting to think about different career choices or paths or opportunities. So they come to Quora and they read about, you know, what's it like to be a product manager? How should I become a great uh, computer scientist? Or what, um, what, what should I know to build a career in marketing? Those are the kinds of questions we have a lot of really rich content. So we find that a lot of people are discovering career opportunities on Quora. So that's that makes sense that uh, employment and brands, companies would come to Quora to also connect with those people in that moment. On the paid side, then certainly companies are also using Quora to target potential candidates. They can target by topic. So if they're looking for a specific type of um, I keep coming back to engineering because it's such a competitive talent pool. But if they're targeting, you know, JavaScript engineers, they can run ads on question pages that are related to, you know, questions that those types of people would be reading about. So maybe new developments in JavaScript or, or tangential technologies they might want to be targeting. And that's a great way for them to get their brand in front of, in front of those really qualified candidates and like a very niche audience. As you look at your audience, uh, and you said 200 million uniques um, just in, in, in the past month and how that's evolved, you know, any site like yours, is, is, as I mentioned kind of in the open, you've got contributors mm-hmm. and you've got consumers. And you know, typically the old parlance has been, there's usually like a 10X uh, or sometimes even a 100X between consumers of, of content uh, versus contribution. I'm curious kind of if you have any numbers kind of around the average core user and if you have seen that evolve, if, you've, if you're seeing kind of a move to creation other than, rather than consumption or are we seeing that that kind of uh, disparity between those two audiences is getting bigger? It's a great question. I don't actually have any numbers. I mean, my sense is that it's similar to, you know, what you do see really universally across the web um, and probably really in most any publication platform. Um, there, There is a cohort of people who are very comfortable writing and, and then there is the, the rest of the consumer base, which is much, much bigger. Um, one thing I would say that we have definitely made an effort, though, that's probably different from other platforms is that we try to make Quora a very safe place for people to write. So, you know, as a woman, I've certainly experienced this in other platforms. If I write something um, or tweet something or post an update somewhere, 
you know, sometimes you can face some pretty nasty comments on the other side. Um, and certainly this is true for a lot of a lot of groups of people on the internet. And so I think that's caused a lot of people to be very cautious about writing anything publicly um, elsewhere. So we have made a lot of efforts with our moderation to make sure that we basically don't tolerate um, hate speech. We don't tolerate uh, people who are being disrespectful to others on the platform. And so it makes it a really safe place for you know, basically, you know, any minority group to participate on the platform. And in fact, we have a, one of our policies on the site is called uh, Be Nice, Be Respectful, BNBR for short is what we call it. And that is a, just a much higher bar that we hold compared to most platforms. So we do think it's a unique place for people to write. And we see that um, more and more people are willing to write. And then they have a really good experience when they write that first answer compared to other platforms. So then we hope that means they will continue to contribute in the future. I know one of the concepts kind of in and around that, uh, that you didn't start with when, uh, when, when Cora was launched, but something that you've recently added is the ability to be able to, to post questions anonymously uh, without it kind of being associated with your, your credentials or your topic, you know, for fear of any type of kind of retaliation. I'd love to hear kind of how, what the thought process was behind that, how it's going and how you're kind of continuing to, uh, to evolve the platform to truly enable that free speech, but to still, again, as you said, be nice, be respectful, and, and try to keep to those tenets of, um, you know, of, of, a, of a polite public square. Yeah, and anonymity is a really interesting concept and uh, topic to manage um, in terms of how you moderate a site. So we've actually always had the ability for people to ask and answer questions anonymously. What we have done is we try to be very, very careful to make sure that that content that people contribute cannot be associated um, with their with their actual um, account. So that that is something we've always been very very careful about. As you can imagine, on our side though, it's also a challenge in that we want to make sure we prevent you know trolling or other bad behavior from anonymous um, accounts. And so that's something that we we do spend a fair bit of time on on the moderation side. But I think we, we believe that, you know, there are a lot of, there's a lot of really valuable knowledge that can be quite sensitive that it's, we really want to make sure is out there in the world because it can be very helpful to people. Um, but we also want to make sure we can hold people accountable for their actions on the site. So this is something we're just constantly balancing. But we believe that there is knowledge that would not probably exist on Quora or frankly, maybe anywhere on the internet if there wasn't the ability for people to share anonymously. And we certainly, you know, some of our best answers um, that we've gotten over time that, you know, people tell us has really made a difference for them have been written anonymously. But certainly in general, we prefer if, you know, if people are comfortable sharing their real name, that does obviously lend a lot of credibility to the answer and help people judge whether, okay, this answer from this person, this actually helps me make a good decision because there's a lot of similarities between this person and me, or I respect their opinion because they're an expert. Um, when you When you do answer something anonymously, you lose all of that. Um, so there's a trade-off there, but we certainly want to make sure people have the opportunity to share maybe more sensitive um, answers than they'd feel comfortable sharing publicly. So we do, we do allow for that. Yeah, I think there, there's, there is a place for, for, for both types, and I think yep. you, you articulated that, that perfectly. Certainly, as we saw in the last presidential election here in the United States, you know, a lot of, 
a lot of information in social being bandied about, uh, very kind of polarizing. Uh, we, we saw the, the advent of the whole term fake news and, and things like that. I'm curious, and, and, and as, I think as part of that, and as with some of that fake news, we also saw a lot of other social platforms or sites that, that had advertising have to kind of deal with some repercussions. We saw YouTube have to, and Google have to kind of back down from, uh, from you know, advertisers who were concerned that their posts, um, or I'm sorry, their advertisements could be associated in some way with, with, with uh, content that was controversial or, or even grossly inaccurate. I'm curious, kind of as uh, as as leading the advertising and and sales side of Quora, how you're kind of managing your product stack and and how you've kind of built the advertising platform, which you launched in 2017, to kind of be ahead of those types of concerns and issues. Yeah, we were, you know, we've been very fortunate in building this platform and that we now can really reap the benefits of having spent years and years building systems that make make uh, anybody who comes to the site have confidence that it's going to be a high quality experience. And because of our BNBR policy that I mentioned earlier, be nice, be respectful. That alone takes care of a lot of the issues that other platforms were facing this last cycle. So we've really come from a position of strength already um, from just being very diligent about this type of moderation. And you're absolutely right. We, in our conversations with advertisers and agencies now, this is very much top of mind when they think about um, brand safety, brand equity, what are they going to be up against when, when their ad is on the site. And we've been extremely careful upfront to make sure that we are careful about objectionable content and that we don't show ads on that. Um, so basically the advertisers can feel really good about the brand safety that they have on Quora. Um, in fact, we, we practically lead some of our early discussions with advertisers with that because we know that it is so top of mind, especially, you know, not only during the election cycle, but I think, you know, th- really through this whole year, there's been, um, you know, just so much in the media that some brands are feel really um, uncomfortable being next to. So we, t- we certainly understand that. Um, but yeah, we're, we're very fortunate. And, and really what enables us to do that is that our whole site is built around this topic architecture. So that also gives us a really... Um, great ability to exclude certain content from advertising. So if you think about it, every single question on Quora has a topic associated with it, at least one. So you could imagine um, if we wanted to not show ads against, you know, any topic that or any question that has, um, for example, you know, the gun topic associated with it. Well, that's really easy for us to be able to do that. So um, we've just built basically a great product that allows us to sort very quickly through different types of content and, and that can give a lot of assurance to advertisers. I think that, that topical arch- architecture as you, uh, as you articulate it, Sarah, is, is so interesting. And again, as, as someone in marketing, I, I would think that that's really powerful. Um, I would also think that before any major purchase, I mean, whether I'm buying a coffee maker or I'm buying a new car, people are going to Cora to kind of proverbial kick proverbially kick the tires, ask questions, so to speak. I'm curious how you kind of approach marketers or marketers and advertisers approach you and say, hey, listen, how do we make Quora part of that consideration journey? You know, and, and then how do we also make sure that those people even know that those questions are being answered 
at Quora. So kind of what does that whole life cycle of someone who's considering a purchase of a car, there's great reviews and insights around all the idiosyncrasies of that car on your platform. How do you kind of approach a marketer and say, hey, this is why this is a great platform for you? Well, the good news is most of them are approaching us <laughs> because they have already seen such high quality traffic coming from Quora. You know, they have analytics set up and they have seen for years that they're getting incredible referral traffic from Quora. So right now we're in a, a really nice position that most marketers are really just excited to see that we have finally offered a paid option for them to increase their reach on Quora because what they have, what they see is that just what you said, there's a funnel there's a, a journey that people go through when they're first, you know, even starting to even think about or becoming aware of a product to actually finally making that purchase. And they are, you know, very skilled in using the different um, opportunities in the funnel for raising awareness. So typically you think of top of the funnel being things like television or print or even Facebook um, platforms that have a lot of reach across a certain demographic as a way to build awareness of the product. Um, and then they think of search as being the place where they want to get in front of that consumer right when they've already, you know, pretty much at that decision point. They've all either already made the decision, they're in Google or Bing or other search engines searching exactly for the product they want to buy. But for a lot of marketers, I think what they found over time uh, on the digital side is that by the time people are hitting search, they've often already made the decision. So they're looking for places where they can influence that decision um, you know, after someone's become aware of the product, but before they've actually made their final selection. And this, for me, is one of the most exciting you know, parts of Quora and a big reason why I came to Quora in the first place is that I felt like we were in a very unique position in the funnel where we capture people as they are very seriously considering a decision, um, often a high stakes decision where maybe there's a lot of dollar value associated with that. If you think about the major purchasing decisions you make in your life, you mentioned buying a car, um, but you could be considering what university to attend or how to go about buying a house or getting a mortgage, getting a loan. Um, these are, you know, or if you're in industry, you might be selecting some sort of software or vendor management for your company. These are really high stakes decisions. So you're going to take the time to do some research to really understand the different trade-offs, what might be the best selection for you. And there's just not that many places that people can go that they can really trust to find good information at that stage of those really important decisions. And Quora is absolutely one of those places that people come to. So for marketers, it's sort of a no-brainer if they want to hit people between brand awareness or product awareness and actual decision-making. Um, they already know that, that Quora is one of the rare places to do it. And then, like you said, we allow them the opportunity to to basically target their ads based on topic so they can reach people that they know are actively reading about something related to their topic space. Um, and so that's a really exciting, um, it's an exciting place for them to be. And then we recently launched retargeting as well. So if they're trying to capture people who are in that middle of the funnel, they've already come to their website, they've already started to read up on their product, but haven't yet made a purchase with the Quora Pixel, they can now retarget those same customers when they're on Quora. So it's a pretty exciting proposition for marketers. And uh, they've, they're certainly, they've been aware about it for a long time. And they, they tell us that they're, they're really excited that we finally now have an ads product for them to leverage. What an interesting uh, kind of ads product. And I, I love the remarketing piece of that too. I think that's an underserved kind of area. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's one we're going to continue to see kind of evolve in, in this space. 
And speaking of continuing to evolve in this space, uh, time for some quick advertising messages. These are typically what Jay does, but I'm going to be doing them since Jay Bear is not joining uh, Sarah Smith and, and, and me today. Um, first uh, ad is, is actually a product that's near and dear to my heart and a ebook that is very near and dear to my heart because because uh, my team and I spent some time on this. Uh, it's called More Than Marketing, Exploring the Five Roles of the New Marketer. And certainly uh, the things that, that Sarah Smith, VP of Sales and Operations at Quora and I are talking about here are very apropos to this. This idea of new marketing skills that we need as marketers, as communicators, as advertisers, and as almost data scientists to make sure that we are kind of evolving in our career, we are evolving the organizations and companies that we are doing uh, doing this with. Uh, we've compiled together uh, interviews and stories and interactive features uh, to really help you get started and hopefully give you two or three actionable steps that, that you can use almost immediately to continue mastering your talents. It's very happy for our Salesforce to put this together and I hope you will uh, try to uh, take a look at it as well. You can download a copy of the five roles of the new marketer at cnc.ly, that's C-A-N-D-C, for convince and convert, cnc.ly slash new marketer. Jay Bear and the Convince and Convert team also have another really exciting ebook that I hope you will take a look at. It's called Three Types of Social Media Metrics and Why They'll Get You Promoted. I think that's something that we certainly all want to do and aspire to, to move up in the trajectory of our careers. And we know the way to do that is to show our bosses how we're either making the money or we're saving the money. Well, this ebook does both and shows the important ROI steps that we as social media professionals and as marketers need to use. I hope you will download this book as well at cnc.ly slash three social metrics. That's the number three social metrics. Uh, two interesting books, exciting books that I hope you will download today. And we are back now with Sarah Smith, Vice President of Sales and Operations at Quora, talking a lot about this fascinating platform, the evolution of the platform, the abilities now as, as marketers and as advertisers for us to be able to tap in to the Quora user. And that really kind of, Sarah, brings me up to my next question. And that is, what does the Quora user look like? What do these 200 million people that have used your platform look like from a demographic standpoint, from a psychographic standpoint? Or I'm going to guess with numbers that pervasive, it's very much the general demographics of the online <laughs> user. Yes? Yes, that's, that's exactly right. We're now hitting an inflection point where we are big enough as a site that we are really starting to map pretty much to the general demographics of the world. That said, we do we have seen over time that we have some concentration in the, at least in the U.S., we have some concentration on the coast, so we are a little bit heavier on the west and east coasts uh, than in general, uh, so a little bit more concentrated in urban areas. We also have a really highly educated population compared to the average internet population, so again, like we were talking about earlier, a lot of people discover us when they are in school or in university. So it sort of makes sense that that would map to a pretty highly educated uh, market. We have really deep penetration, though, across a variety of verticals. You know, our, our roots were in tech. We started out here in, in California in the Bay Area. And so a lot of our early users were from the tech community. But we now have got, you know, deep penetration across pretty much every topic that you could imagine. And um, we have experts in all different areas. We've had people, VIP 
types host sessions, which is sort of like a, a, Q, a specialized Q&A product. You, you had the Hillary and Tim Kaine uh, Q&A last year, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. And we had Justin Trudeau uh, this year. We've had um, Barack Obama actually answer some questions. So we have had a number of politicians. Um, we've had you know, TV show producers, we've had Nobel Prize laureates, famous economists, um, people from the federal bank, we've had, you know, legal experts, um, social experts. So just really everything you could imagine is now on Quora. So it is really broad reaching. I'm going to assume that the, the, the contributors probably slightly uh, different demographically than, than the consumers. And I'm, that may or may not be the case. But my question is more, with your advertising platform, can you say, I listen, I want to target those contributors. I want to target those people who are probably considered influencers on other channels or other platforms because, you know, they're the type when they share something, other people listen, other people respect, other people upvote them. Are those types of kind of focuses uh, available inside of your advertising platform? Great question. We don't currently offer that ability to target, you know, to target just the writers or certain influencers. Where we do offer more granular targeting from a demographic standpoint is really based on geography. So if you feel like the influencers that you're trying to reach are typically in certain cities or urban areas, you can target by that. Um, you can do radius targeting on on certain areas as well. So we we do allow that for that type of targeting. Um, and then other than that, we offer the top, as I mentioned, the topic targeting, and we also offer the ability to target by platform. So if you want to reach people only on desktop or only on mobile, or you're trying to do um, app installs, you can do that as well. But right now, that's the most granular that we offer. So you've got a very interesting job uh, being able to, to, to wrestle and wrangle all these things. You mentioned a little bit earlier uh, before joining uh, Quora, you like, uh, like the founders of, of Quora uh, were at Facebook. Uh, and even before that, I know you, you sometimes between, between that and, and the rest of your life, you also uh, attended uh, Stanford uh, School of Business. Love to hear kind of how you got to this role at Quora and kind of what, what suggestions or recommendations you would give our social pros listener who are thinking about, you know, similar types of careers. Yeah, I have definitely a non-traditional path, I think, to other folks. Um, but in general, um, you know, I was at Stanford at a time when social media was really starting to erupt. So if anybody out there was ever on Friendster, um, I actually had been on Friendster really, oh, yeah. really Classmates early on. And Friendster. Yeah. Going back. <laughs> Probably remember the painfully slow download of photos and all of that. Um, but it definitely was a time where actually when I joined Facebook, MySpace was still bigger than, than Facebook. Um, and there was other social networks like HiFi and Mebo and a number of different um, platforms out there. So I was at Stanford from 2005 to 2007. So a lot of these platforms were really just in their infancy and starting to take off. Um, Facebook platform launched right as I graduated. So the whole, and, and the iPhone came out at that time as well. So the app economy really started to take off. I had virtually zero experience in online or the internet when um, I graduated from business school. So I started by working at uh, actually a very small lead gen shop. So that's how I really got my start in understanding online marketing. Um, it's really classic affiliate lead gen in the financial services space. And this again was 2007. So this was before the 2008 downturn. But I learned a lot in that year of working on, you know, just building business online 
design and understanding um, paid acquisition and how to monetize traffic. Um, the good and the bad, I think we've all been there. We've seen the variety of you know different offers out there in that at that time period. And then fortunately, there was a operations position open in at Facebook, really for general management is what they were looking for, which I had had at that time. And so I came over to really start building the mid-market account management team, as well as open a number of operations and sales offices around the world, and then spent my last couple of years there running the Austin office. So I cannot tell you that I would have been able to predict, um, even at the beginning of going into business school, that I would have landed at a place like Facebook. Um, Frankly, Facebook barely existed when I started business school. Uh, Quora didn't even exist yet. So I think the main advice I have for people who are looking to do this kind of thing is to just, you know, really keep an open mind and not expect that their path is going to be linear. Um, The more that you can kind of read up on what's happening in the industry, where are big areas of growth happening, and, and try to be really flexible about what that might look like in your next role. I think that's where, for me, it's been great to just kind of have a feel like a, I'm a gut person. I've just trusted my gut. I felt very strongly about the power of Facebook before I joined. It felt very addicting. It felt very meaningful and useful as well to be able to be so close to friends and family. Um, I grew up in Wisconsin, so it felt like a time where I actually was able to reconnect with the number of people I hadn't seen in years. So for me, that was a really important factor in joining the company. And then with Quora, I was friends with the founders and, and as I mentioned, an early user. And for me, I had a similar feeling of just, wow, the, the quality of the content and what people are writing and knowing that, you know, if, if you could imagine a world in which you could go back in history and have firsthand accounts from people that were in the room when major events happen, like how powerful that would be if everyone had access to that. So if you think about history, I mean, all of this is really edited by people who are, you know, trying to use some primary source, you know, letters, transcripts, and things like that. But it's not like actually hearing directly from the people in the room. And to be able to see even today, you know, similar thing, you know, to be able to hear directly from you know, a a politician or directly from an executive, you know, why did you choose to join this company or why did you choose to leave this company? You know, sure, they may be biased and they may be putting their own spin on things, but it is coming from them directly. There's no editor, there's nobody mincing their words, and you can trust that it's actually them. And to your point about fake news, I mean, to have a platform like Quora where when you read somebody wrote something, you can trust that they actually wrote it and nobody has edited that or changed that or taken it out of context. To me, that's an incredibly powerful thing. So um, I guess just to get back to your original point, I think for people looking for career advice, it's really following following your gut and focusing on areas of growth and products that you feel are just really meaningful to you personally. Sarah, I think that's a great answer. In fact, I didn't realize it, but I was actually asking you one of the uh, the two questions that we that we always end a, a program. Uh, on social pros with, and that is, you know, what's the one tip that you would give somebody who wants to be a social pro? I think you've done that perfectly. Before I get to the last question, and I promise I'm going to save that one to the very, very last, (laughs) I am curious kind of where you think this is all going. I know one of the things at Salesforce that, that, that my team has been working on and something that we've announced over the past couple of weeks is around what we call Einstein vision. And it's around non-textual content. How can we take all the insights that we can glean now from textual content as it relates to language and sentiment and Boolean searches and all those and start to do the same thing with non-textual content? 
I'm curious from where you sit, where do you believe that type of content is is going to go in terms of the curation and actionableness of it? And um, just kind of what your what your thoughts are on this entire evolution of more and more non-textual content beginning to to enter these these social platforms again, like Quora. Yeah, I, it's super exciting to think about the future and where we're going. I think if I think about where we're going, a couple things come to mind. One, I think things are speeding up very quickly for people. So people expect to be able to get the information that they want much, much faster. Um, they have just less patience for, you know, super long marketing messages. They really just know that the, they know the information probably exists and the platforms that serve that up more quickly and in a format that helps people get to that decision faster are going to be very successful. So if you think about, um, you know, one trend I heard about recently was some, you know, uh, advertising executives frustrated that, um, people aren't watching videos for more than one to two seconds or three seconds. And, you know, one approach is to say, well, we're only going to pay if they watch 30 seconds of this video. Another approach would be to say, well, how do we actually condense our marketing message into something that actually is meaningful and actionable in three seconds? And because I yeah. think that's the reality of where the world is going. So things are really speeding up. And so then to service that, I think it's going to be a bumpy road in that um, we have more and more and more data every day. And which allows us to personalize to a very fine degree exactly what we show each person to make sure that it's really relevant and helpful to them. So that's, I think, a really exciting value proposition for the average consumer. At the same time, we have this bumpy road in that because it's still relatively new, if you think about just sort of the arc of the last, you know, 100, 200 years of advertising, this, this ability to do this extreme personalization is still relatively new to a lot of people and can feel scary, right? We've talked about, I mean, you've all, everyone's read about sort of the, the, the journey that Google's gone through with Gmail ads and, you know, whether or not to use the content of those emails to better personalize the ads that they show people. You know, on, on one side of the camp, you could say it's great to have ads that really surface exactly what it is that I'm looking for. On the other side, people are really worried about their privacy and rightfully so. You want to make sure that the data is being used for something that's actually good and helpful to you and not detrimental. I think there's a there's a lot that's going to have to get sorted out over the next like five to 10 years um, or longer about how we think about that trade-off between, you know, better personalization, better value to the consumer and, you know, protecting their privacy and making sure it's not used for malicious reasons. Um, and so I think it's gonna be exciting to see how it plays out. But for me, a, a lot of this, um, you know, to the point of your new initiative, I think it's really being able to personalize the experience and helping people really get to those decision points and getting the information that they're looking for much, much faster. I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, the whole balance between uh, personalization or just the intrusiveness of advertising um, and its and and its 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 usefulness or function. I mean, this this started with the with the first you know television or radio uh, advertisements. This idea, wait, you're going to interrupt my program? Well, it, it you know we all at that point said, okay, well this program is good enough that I'm going to wait 30 seconds or 60 seconds to uh, to get back to it. Same thing, I think, with personalization today. As long as you know you're going to show me something that's going to be more relevant, I'll be interested. But again, I'm, I'm trusting the, uh, the advertiser, the platform to, to do the right things with that information. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Sarah, it's been so great having you on the show. Uh, time for our last question, typically two questions, but you already answered the first one. So my last question for you today on social pros 
is if you could do, Sarah Smith, Vice President of Sales and Operations at Quora, if you could do a Skype call with any living person, who would it be and why? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, On the spot, there are so many people. You know, honestly, I... You know, um, not to be super political here, um, you know, I think I appreciate that Core is a very neutral platform. And so, um, you know, I'm not saying one party over the other, but I do, I am very intrigued by what Barack Obama could do for the rest of his life. He's relatively young um, and had obviously a lot of exposure to the global economy and different forces. And I know is in a, you know, obviously an interesting, challenging position of not wanting to interfere with the current administration. Um, but I think it's really interesting to think about what kind of impact he could have. Um, and obviously his wife, Michelle, as well. So it'd be a toss up between the two of them. But I think for a lot of, um, you know, groups that feel like they're sort of in the minority, I think there's a lot of good that the two of them could do. So I'd be really interested to have a conversation about some types of initiatives that, um, you know, he or, or they together uh, might be able to run in the future. So that would be a fascinating conversation. I would agree. And, uh, and, 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 and President Obama has been a, and, and, and Michelle have both been uh, very popular answers on this show. Oh, uh, really? By the way, we, had, <laughs> we announced uh, from Salesforce this week, uh, Michelle Obama is going to be a keynote speaker at Dreamforce uh, this year. Oh, wow. So uh, we're, I'm looking forward to her hopefully maybe teeing up uh, some answers to that particular question. Uh, so it should be, uh, should be good. Sarah, uh, so great to have you on the show. Thank you for, for participating. Love your platform and everything that you're doing with it, not only as, as a marketer and as a marketing executive, but also just as a user. I think it's an exciting platform. So thank you for, uh, for spending an hour or so with us. For all of you who are listening, thank you for listening to our show. Uh, Social Pros exists because of you. And Jay and I cannot thank you enough for continuing to, uh, to make our show one of the most listened to marketing podcasts, if not the most listened to marketing podcast in existence. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your reviews. And as Jay always says, let us know what you think. Uh, we take each and every email or review or comment from you seriously. And we want to make this show as actionable for you as it is us. So until next week, I am Adam Brown, Executive Strategist of Salesforce Marketing Cloud. Jay Bear, uh, founder and president of Convince and Convert, could not be here, but I know he is with us in spirit. Thanks, and we look forward to speaking with you next week. Thanks for listening to Social Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to socialpros.com for a complete show archive and for our greatest hits. Social Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert. Salesforce Marketing Cloud, and by Yext, and is produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert Media. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, visit us at convinceandconvert.com.